Here we are again, my friends. Another episode of the Shema podcast. As part of this exercise of this podcast, I knew that if I was going to share my learning with all of you, then my life would have to be an open book. And I believe it has been just that. That's why early on I decided to go ahead and tackle the big one, really humiliate myself. And I did the episode on the Holy Briss with Rabbi Cohen. I figured if you're willing to discuss that topic and share it with the audience, then you will have no fear of discussing anything else that you may be struggling with. But this topic needs some proper framing. I need to create some structure around the problem at hand so we can get to where I need assistance. But we have to go big picture here. I'm going to discuss some concepts that I've addressed before, but piece them together maybe a little differently to frame this conversation we're going to have with the rabbi I'll be bringing on in a proper way. The reason God created the world, and this is a concept that I learned very early on. I mean, at the very beginning, I had just learned the truth that there was a creator. I had just gone through a six-month study on the logical proofs and evidence for Torah. I concluded this is it. This is true. And one of the early concepts I learned was why he created me, why he created us. And this is something I would just contemplate and think about over and over and over again in order to build up my resolve to move forward in learning and living a Torah lifestyle. I knew that my life was going to have to change dramatically. And I needed to fuel myself with the motivation for the task at hand. Before God created anything and it was just him, he lacked nothing and he still lacks nothing. This is what's so mind boggling. He lacked absolutely nothing. So the first thing he created was the will to want to have a relationship with another. Meaning he didn't get any benefit out of that. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't bored. I mean, contemplate the level of kindness that's beyond our human comprehension that he created the need and he created the desire for himself to have a relationship with another. And he created another our collective neshama. But he knew that in order to bestow the ultimate goodness, ultimate pleasure to this created entity, but the ultimate goodness he wanted to give to this created entity was the ability to have a relationship with him. And not a relationship of a parent with an infant child or a beggar to a rich man. He wanted to give the ultimate goodness, which was the other one being able to stand in the presence of their creator and not be ashamed. So they would feel worthy of being in in the presence of their creator. That's what the Almighty wanted for us. Pretty mind-blowing. Just contemplating that, that level of kindness stirs up such a tremendous amount of gratitude, so much love that it drives and builds a fervor of desire to please him. 
and accomplish this task. When you look at the Torah and the requirements, the mitzvot, they're all there to accomplish this one central task. And that is the following. The Almighty created mankind as a microcosm of him and his world at large. We have a neshama, the very first thing he created. Everything else was created in order to benefit our neshama. And our neshama rests in our consciousness inside of this physical body. A neshama is what gives the life force to the body. Once the neshama pulls away, the body begins to decay. Likewise, the Almighty, He is fueling and providing the life force for everything in His creation. The heavenly realm, the physical universe, all of it. And if He were to stop animating it and fueling it with its life force, it would cease to exist as well. And our body is our kingdom. So our task is to have our neshama commandeer the body, to bring holiness through it, to become a leader of its kingdom, and to lead its kingdom the way the Almighty leads his kingdom. You see, when we are successful at this task, by fulfilling all the mitzvot, which correspond to each limb of our body, we are making our body adhere to the desire of our neshama, which wants to adhere to the desire of the King of Kings, the Almighty. That is his constitution that he gave us to run our kingdom, to focus our thoughts, our words, our actions in total alignment with the way he created the world at large. You know, one of the principles of faith by Maimonides is to anticipate the day when Mashiach will arrive, ushering in this revelation of God. And I do anticipate it, but I am quite fearful of it. Why? Because I'm in no way ready for that moment. If he were to reveal himself in this moment, looking at the anarchy that exists within my kingdom, I would not be able to stand in his presence. I have not accomplished the task at hand. And as I look at what's happening in the world, we see that the day of Mashiach is rapidly approaching. The rate of change is constantly increasing. Just around, what, six months ago, I had Rabbi Yacobian on here talking about living in the era of Mashiach, and he was going through the checklist, all the prophecies. And the one thing he mentioned was that there would come global inflation, and that would lead and proceed to this war of Gog and Magog. And here we are now. Inflation is rising around the globe, and the central banking policy of all the developed economies and what is happening with commodities and the price of foods and everything else really leans to the outcome that this massive global inflation will continue to increase. So yeah, I feel like time is running out. I'm not ready. My kingdom is an anarchy. I'll give you an example of how this plays out. In my world, I have a decision to make. I'm in the boardroom. It's chaos. I have my Yetzirah voicing its opinion on what I should do. Problem is that my Neshama, which I believe is my Yetzer Tov, we'll find out from our guest rabbi coming on if those are the same thing. But the problem is, is they're both talking over each other. I don't know who is saying what. Now, sometimes I have the Torah wisdom to I know exactly what to do in this situation. But a lot of times because 
my Torah learning is so lacking that often I don't know what is the proper path to go. And I have all these different needs yelling over each other. Go this way, go that way, do this, do that. I'm unclear on the proper direction. And then I have my body, the constituents of my kingdom, creating emotions that influence the direction I should go. And I'm trying to be the leader, the CEO, and say exactly this is the proper path. But sometimes I just don't know. One of the techniques I've come up with over the last few months in those moments when the emotions are strong, when I'm unclear on the proper path, I just say over and over to myself, I choose to make Hashem's will my will. I just repeat that over and over and over to myself. That's my choice. So if I make the incorrect decision, it's purely out of ignorance. But we discussed this topic with Rabbi Nagel on the art of war and battling the Yetzirah. What I want to focus on this episode is once we have a clear decision, we know exactly what to do and we send the directions, the instructions to our kingdom, to our body. And the fight that ensues from that point forward. So here's how that often plays out with me. As an example, I may say in this moment, I need to learn Torah. And I'll sit down and begin to read. And then my body will say, but we're hungry. We want some food. And I realize I haven't fed it in quite some time. So I prepare some food. I nourish my body. I sit down and start reading once again. And then I begin to feel groggy. I hear my body saying, but we need a nap, just a little power nap. So I'll, I'll have a little power nap. I'll get a cup of coffee, sit down, begin to read and learn. And then I realize the hour is up and I got in maybe 10 or 15 minutes of study when I needed the full hour so I could make those decisions with much more conviction when they arise in the future. So I'll know what to do. One of the things that is a little disturbing about my state of affairs is the following. Now, if I were to share this with the outside world, they would think that it was the coolest thing in the world. But in our world, we know that it demonstrates a pretty sad state of affairs in the kingdom of Dan Coleman. I'm going to start with an analogy. Back when I was in my 20s, someone talked me into temporarily watching a dog that was in an animal rescue program. So I agreed. Ended up being a year long. It was an American Eskimo. It was very sweet dog, but very energetic. When I would come back from the office, it'd be so hyper. I taught the commands, sit, stay, off, because it loved to jump all over me when I walked in at the end of the workday. But it was so hyper that I would not listen to the commands after being cooped up in an apartment all day long. So I learned that what I needed to do was every morning take it for a very long run. And I would run that dog until we were both totally exhausted. Because then when I would come home, it would be more chill. I could listen to the commands. And I realized that's exactly what goes on with me. If I don't exercise my body, it becomes an uncontrollable animal. And it follows commands in a much easier way when it gets rigorous exercise every morning. So I noticed about myself that if I went more than a couple of days without exercising, I would become irritable. I would not respond to situations in an appropriate way. 
And so from that point forward, I began to make sure that every day I worked out simply to make sure that my body was in an emotional state that would respond to things properly. And I was thinking the other day, probably going back five or six years, the only days I have not woken up in the morning and worked out was Shabbos, Yom Kippur, and the day after Shavuos. And my motivation is not because I have some long-term fitness goal. I know in the outside world, someone would hear that like, whoa, bro, that's so cool. You got to be ripped. It's insane. That's not my concern. Now, I would say to those people, congratulations, bro, for your lifetime achievement of creating a five-star steakhouse for the maggots and worms. They're going to love it. That's not my objective. I had someone ask me once, what's your long-term fitness goals? And I thought about it, contemplated it, and responded My fitness goals are to not be an a-hole. That's it. That's the only reason it's so important to me to make sure I do that first thing in the morning. And that is why Rabbi Ari Wolby said early on when I asked him if it was okay for me to work out on Yom Tov. And he asked me, well, why do you want to? And I said, because I just want to make sure I am in a good state, that I'm calm, I'm relaxed, And I can enjoy the day more and other people will enjoy being around me more. And he said, well, because you were doing it for that day is, of course, is permissible. It's pretty sad. I know many people that I've been around that are cheerful, joyful, and they don't have to do that every day. What is wrong with me? But I know I don't trust myself to behave in a proper way if I don't exhaust my physical being first thing in the morning. Even when I had COVID last year, the following day, I was so tired, but I was feeling so irritable. Everything that was happening, it was just annoying me. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, you need to go work out. And I made myself go in the gym and work out for the sake of my family who had to live here with me. And my wife came in just like, what are you doing? And I just said, I know I need to do this. I need to. I don't trust myself. I don't trust that I have control over my emotions unless I do this. You know, there's that analogy that we talk about during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the horse and rider. Who's in control? My emotional state when I think about all the frustrations and problems I'm trying to solve constantly in business. You know, it's like the horse is galloping around. I'm not holding the reins. Arms are flailing in the air, and the horse is just galloping wherever it goes, and I have no control. I'm running, as you can see, my friends, a banana republic. Hugo Chavez did a better job running his kingdom than I do. One of the challenges I have is that during the workday is when I tend to not be able to get Torah ideas out of my head. Trying to attend a business... And that's when my mind continues to get flooded with them. Now, you may be saying that's amazing. That's great, having your mind occupied with Torah. But then you may ask, well, Dan, certainly at some point you're thinking about business strategy. And the answer is yes, I do. When do I think about business strategy? Those ideas come flooding to me when I'm davening. It's always the wrong time. Now, on Shabbos at 3 p.m. is when I shut down my computer, I convert this space from a business office to a place of learning. And I get my Shabbos checklist out and I begin to tell myself, okay, 
put all the business aside. Get out of your mind. It's time to get into a Shabbos mode. Think about Hashem. Think about Torah. Get yourself out. Leave it all behind. But it doesn't happen. The thoughts then come flooding in. What I need to be working on. Marketing ideas. Business strategies. How to motivate the team. All these things just come flooding into my mind as I go through doing all the preparatory work for Shabbos. I take a shower. Can't get the thoughts on my head. I get dressed up. I walk to a shul still thinking about business. But fortunately, Rabbi Wolgelinter, I'm so appreciative of this. He always takes the time, 30 minutes before Shabbos, to teach some Torah to us. And the teachings he does is like a life preserver being thrown out into the ocean. The waters of the world where I am still flapping around in, trying to get out, but I can't seem to escape in that, that life preserver that he throws to those words of Torah is what drags me to the tranquility and the calmness of the shore. So at the end of Shabbos, when I look back, just like this last one, and I'm so grateful for what an amazing Shabbos that it was, I realize it would have not have happened if he had not taken the time to teach those words, to pull me into the proper mindset to accept Shabbos and experience it the way it should be experienced. So as you can see here, what I'm tasking Rabbi Wolgelinter with is to be my business consultant. That's why this intro is a little longer than usual. I felt it was necessary, as he is going to listen to this prior to coming into the studio to offer his counsel, is I wanted to give full disclosure, open the books, let him know what he's getting into so he can offer some guidance on how I may possibly be able to assume the proper leadership role to take control over my kingdom and serve the Almighty properly. So I'm excited once again to be able to bring on Rabbi Wogenlinter, my political advisor, business consultant, and my David Hasselhoff lifeguard who saves me and brings me to Shabbos every week. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Rabbi Wolgelenter. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you tackling this subject for me and the audience. I may not be the only one that struggles with this. I will say that as I pointed out in the intro, this responsibility that we have, that I have to take control of my kingdom, I'm failing at it miserably. I'm incompetent. The only reason I have this gig is because my forefathers were Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yokov. It's a blatant case of nepotism. But I'm here. And so many days when I, I review my day and I'm going to sleep at night, I'm like certain that my neshamas can go the heavenly best in. And for some reason, Donald Trump will be there. It'll be like the apprentice. And he's going to say, you're fired. I'm expecting it. But I wake up in the morning. It's like, okay, another day in the office. So I have the job. Help me out here. How do we tackle this sort of the, the next layer of, of, of harnessing our emotions for the right reasons? Love it. So I was, I was thinking about this. I actually really appreciate you having me because you didn't introduce me as this. But in my own world, I am the preeminent 
expert in the evil inclination because I've lived with him for many years and engage in battle with him. I, I like to I like to try to engage in battle with the uh, with the evil inclination, the Yetzirah. It's a lifelong mission. So I think the you know as as you were mentioning. I, I think the first the first thing you've already won the first battle. I, honestly, I believe it. You've already won the first battle with I'll the Eight Sahara. If you are aware that there is a thing called the Eight Sahara, you've already that's step number one. Step number one is to be mindful of this: the fact that there is this challenge in our lives, and why why do we have this challenge? I mean, we know in the bigger picture what's the, why, why do we have this challenge? Why? why why didn't God just create us to accomplish the mission like robots? Why didn't he just put us in the world? And we do all this good stuff, right? Right. As I said in the intro, it's because Hashem wants us to feel worthy. Exactly. You got to earn it. You got to right? have a challenge, right? You got to earn for it. Sure. In order to earn it, there has to be a force pushing against you for you to earn it. Right. You have to keep this equilibrium where you have the choice to choose life or death and you choose life. Then that's a positive choice that you've made, and that's you know you're you're golden for it, right? Right. But he has to keep this equilibrium. The problem is, is that if you're not aware of the equilibrium, that there's this even playing field where there's good and bad both in your life mixed together, and you got to make the choices. If you're not aware of it, and you're not mindful of it, then you are in fact your natural predisposition, kind of what you're born with is program the opposite way of what you're supposed to do right right that is and we're very aware of that because that's that's like the the way the rabbis say that that's your body right your body is something that you are you can think about and apply your mind to you're actually always aware of your body right unless there's anesthesia involved or mind-altering drugs right right but you're always aware of your body and where it is and how it is and that lower back pain and the the toenail that's bothering you and you're, you're this is something that you live with all the time right so that's the part of you that you your mind is always on and then there's this other part of you this spirit spirituality, spiritual part, your soul, call it what you want, but that's a part that you may not be paying attention to. So I think you've already, you've already, you've already have the insight to say, okay, now I'm applying my mind to say there's this other part of me and I want to focus on it. And this other part of me is battling with the part that's always on my mind that I'm always thinking about. Okay. So exactly. that's step number one. I mean, that's, right. that, that's how you open the, open the discussion. And by the way, it's not, don't take it for granted. I mean, pat yourself on the back for real. Pat yourself on the back for this because there are, I mean, there's been periods in my life when I look back on them. Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you realize, but there's, there's periods in people's lives where they're just not engaged in the struggle. They're not engaged in the battle. They're just kind of floating in the wind and whatever it is that is presented to them, they're kind of going with it and they're going with the flow. So if that means that they wake up on a day and they just feel lazy or without energy, but they know they got to go to work. So what do they do? You just kind of mail it in because today that's just how I'm feeling. I'm kind of lazy today, right? I'm right. not into it. My brain's not there. As opposed to like wrestling for control of yourself, so to speak, and saying, no, yeah, this is how I'm feeling. And these are maybe the emotions that I'm having, but I'm in control of that. And now I have to figure out how to redirect it, right? So yeah, this is a day that I don't have energy. Is there a way to infuse energy into what I'm doing? Right, beyond the Red Bull or the you know the double espresso, right? right? But is there yeah. a way to get energy? Do I yeah. do I need to go take a walk around the block and clear my head? Do I need to do some jumping jacks here before I turn on my computer, right? You know, and just being aware of that, like that you have the ability to control that, 
and you have the ability to kind of you, you know be mindful of that is is that's step number one right there's periods of, of life life that people go through where they're just just ignoring that fact and just going with whatever is presented in front of them almost like whatever food it is that's in front of me that's what i'm eating right you know you talk in the torah framework you know kosher or not but talk globally i mean healthy or not it's just like i don't know whatever's there right go to the cabinet and you open it up and it's just like i'm i'm hungry whatever's there now you're not you're not even engaged in the battle you're not even engaged in the health food battle, right? It's not like, am I making good choices? So you talk about it with food. You talk about it with pleasure. You talk about it with just how you treat people, right? Right. Are you just interacting with people by the whims of your feeling at that moment, right? Which can be terribly destructive when you talk about, you know, in family life, right? For sure. I'm having a rough day and then my kid does something and I'm, I'm literally, I take it out on them, but it has nothing to do with what they did. But that's because I'm not... There's no battle. I'm just letting my body, emotions, you know, that side of me, just, just, I'm letting it go with the flow. Okay, so you've been there where you felt like, in the horse and rider analogy, that the horse is running around. The horse is running around, <laughs> and you're just holding on for dear life. And sometimes you're not even aware you're holding on, you fell off. And right. you're, now you're just watching the horse. And it's just like, you know, but I think when you take a step back, I think that, that's like, you know, you talk, step number one, when you look at how the rabbis describe throughout the Talmud, throughout Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the father is the part of the Mishnah that talks, you know, about ethical teachings, or it's focused on ethical teachings. You look at later sources, they're all describing this evil inclination thing, this battle that we have, they're all describing it as almost a character in the story of our lives, right? Like, we have a we have a, an epic tale of Dan Coleman's life, right? This is Yaakov Vogelander's epic tale. And then in this tale, there's this character that is constantly attached to you, right? You can't shake him. Right. And he's constantly pulling you in the opposite direction of where you're supposed to go. But... What's the insight? What are they telling us? For, besides for all the insightful things that they say about how to battle him. Besides for that, what they're doing is saying, frame this conversation and understand that you are good. And there's this other thing that is pulling you away from that goodness. Right? When you can look at it as something outside of yourself, talk about controlling emotions. When you can look at emotions as something pulling as as a, a product of of a character that is pulling you away from where you're supposed to go now you can start to deal with them and they're not just who you are right right i mean i sort of set up like you know the the yet so raw form just just controls the thoughts right and but but when you get the clarity on the right decision you draw a distinction in the in the boardroom of your mind with the yet so raw is saying to do with the Yetzer Tov, you know, what you know from the Torah, go this direction. But it seems like the 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 body itself and the the emotions are its own other challenge. It's literally like a kingdom with a mind of its own and its own agenda that you're fighting at. So it's almost like two foes in this battle we have. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? So I from what I see from the way that, that it's described by the rabbis, is that their focus is on understanding that it's not... It, yes, I, I'll agree with you that there are two battling forces for the kingdom which is your life, right? The okay. kingdom which is your life. There's two battling forces. I agree with you. But understand that closer to who you really are is the part 
of you that wants to do the right thing. That is closer to your actual being. And then there's this sort of outside force that's pulling you away from that. And when you can understand that, you can kind of, you know, you can have your out-of-body experience where you're looking from the outside perspective and looking at your life and saying, one second, this guy wants to do the right thing. And then there's this little guy on his shoulder, right? Or big guy, right? Depending, right? This guy weighing him down on his back. Right. Horse and rider. But there's this guy next to him, outside of him, separated from him that he needs to deal with. Okay, now that you can frame it that way, now, now you can talk about, okay, how do we deal with this? But understand that that's, there is nothing inside of you. There's nothing about the, the essential you that wants to do the wrong thing. And I, you have to understand that. Like, as much as we're always focused on, listen, we're programmed, we're pre-programmed to do the wrong thing. It's the way the rabbis say it is that's not really who you are. Actually, your pre-programming is... Straight and narrow, you want to accomplish what, you, what you're supposed to do. And really, that's the part of you that in, in some forms is spoken about as the soul, your neshama, right? right? Your soul is the part of you. I mean, listen, it's a, it's a godly infused creation, Right? It's been infused with godliness. Right. It knows what it's supposed to do. In fact, the Talmud talks about how when it's up there before it gets sent down in a body, right? it protests a lot. I do right. not want to go down there because up here it, I have the cushy life. Right. right. I'm exactly where I want to be. And now you're going to send me into enemy territory. And I heard every night when you go to sleep and it returns, it says the same thing. I don't want to go back. Exactly. Don't, 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 don't send want, me back to Dan Coleman. That Yaakov guy, he just keeps, it's just why are you doing this to me, right? It's right. so comfortable up here. I have, my, I have my beautiful pool chair next to my beautiful pool with my pina colada. I'm enjoying the spiritual life up here and it doesn't want to come back down, right? And it has this argument and it says, no, this is, this is why you were created. You got to go down there and you have a mission because... You're going to be paired with a human who in that part, in the human part of us, in the body part of us, we're very much aware that we are programmed not to do the right thing or at least to go against what the neshama wants. Right. And that's that equilibrium that we're talking about where you have these two parts and they're equal, equally strong forces. But just believe in your mind and think in your mind and understand in your mind that that soul part of you that's who you are that's the real you quick question and i mentioned this in the intro i wanted to get clarity on it i don't want to forget but the the yetzer tov is that the neshama or is that something different so there's there's so many different sources that use these words yeah honestly i don't i don't know i don't know okay the yetzer tov it's it's a it, you know the word yetzer tov is the your, the your will to do good right where does that exist where does that live that seems to be the neshama and that sounds very close to what the neshama is yeah I, I agree with you that sounds very close to what the neshama is where exactly is it found I think it's found in all parts of you is a desire to do good and again this outside force with the rope tied on and pulling constantly pulling you off the off the mark right, right. constantly pulling you off of where you need to where you need to be going and but the Yetzer tov that's that's you that's your neshama yeah i'm yeah i'm with you that's your neshama okay right that's your soul it's not a, it's not that's and what i mean is is that in the re, in the in the big picture that's not an outside force 
right? Like I'm bad and then there's something like a neshama that's trying to make me do good. No, I am my neshama. I am, that is who I am. Right. I also have the tools for the neshama to interface with this world, which is called a body, right? For this purely spiritual being, my soul, to interface with a very physical world, there's a wrapping on it, and that's called a body, right? Okay. But the and and I don't, but I don't think. In fact, I mean, my opinion is the body itself is is a tool that interfaces with the world, but it can be channeled, and it can be. Right when you look at the look, go you go watch videos of the greatest of our of our sages and our rabbis, right? And then you go read the stories of the rabbis in the Talmud and the righteous women throughout history. I mean, you're talking about people that were 100% in control of their body. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Which means that there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. It could it you could do it, right? You could do it. You can get to a point where the body is not the one making choices, but rather the soul. Look, I mean, the, the, if you look at the written Torah, it starts off with Adam, who was only recognized as soul until the sin. And it ends with Moshe, with this neshama taking over his entire body and coming through his face. I mean, this is what Torah is trying to teach us. This is our task at hand, is to bring holiness throughout our body to commandeer it. And that's that's the challenge. It seems right. insurmountable. Right. But it right. obviously can, can be done. Right. So you talk about emotions, right? Yeah. You, you talk about, you, you know, you, Which, you're focused a lot on, on emotions because they're kind of questionable, right? There's a big question mark on emotions. Yeah. And I will say, you know, in my, my early days, my early 20s before I became religious, I, was, I always thought emotions were the frailty of mankind. And like when I first got married, my wife, when she would have a conversation with me, she used to call me Spock. And I thought it was a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, she told me, he's like, no, that's that was me stating in a sense of frustration. Nice talking with you, Spock. And I was like, oh, because to me, emotions just cause cloudy decision making. The idea was to suppress the emotion so you can use your intellect. But obviously, I've learned as I start saying Torah is Hashem created emotion for a very powerful reason. It's where the rubber hits the road. It's physicality mm-hmm. in the most pure sense. And if we can harness that that power of the emotion and make the decisions, the decision to do Torah, the decision to fill Hashem's will with those emotions, then we be, become really unstoppable. Instead, those emotions being used against us all the time. That's what I really want to learn how to do. I think it's clear from 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 what you the sources that you brought and many other ones. I mean, just look at the fact that we have holidays where there's a commandment to be happy. Right. right? Is don't ignore this idea called happiness and say no, no, no. I just have to be making clear decisions. Like don't don't I don't want to don't get me involved in that messy world of feeling good and feeling bad. Is it, no, it's very clear from the Torah that we're meant to actually experience those things. Yes. Right? You have a, a holiday in the summer, like yeah, a commemoration of like Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, where you're sitting on the floor and experiencing acute sadness. Right. Right? And brokenness and understanding that emotion and what role it plays in your life. And so I think that those are experiences. You have holidays, which are where you're practicing or experiencing different emotions. And then you have your day-to-day life where these things can kind of pop in, kind of like, well, where did you show up, right? Well, you wake up in the morning and there's a feeling of sadness and you have no idea where it came from. Right. And, and so it's in those type of emotions where the rabbis tell us that 
the goal is to channel those towards being productive. So how do you channel being broken or sad in the morning towards being productive, yeah. right? How do you channel if you wake up in this incredible mood? It's sometimes we have an easier time channeling that. Right, you wake up in an incredible mood, so you're like, okay, great. Then today's the day for home improvements, right? Because I'm not, I'm not going to get. It's not going to drag me down. I'm already starting on a high, so let me go, you know. Or I'm going to tackle that project at work or that spreadsheet that I didn't want to deal with. Now I have the energy to do it. It's channeling those emotions towards what you know you need to do towards right. the, okay. the productive side of life. Okay, so how do you do it? Yeah, right? teach me. So how do you do it? So, so. I'm not a master at how do you do it, but the rabbis were masters. And so we'll go to their words and try to glean from them, you know, insight on this. Okay. I mean, I think that's the, that's the starting point for every discussion is what did the rabbis of the Talmud, the later sources, the earlier sources that from the Torah, what does it tell us? What does it tell us in, in, in terms of our emotions? And especially when it comes to, because I think this is something that, we all struggle with is especially when it comes to our negative emotions or our emotions that pull us away from what we're supposed to be doing. Right. right? Exactly. So, I mean, you look at, you look at some tips that the rabbis said or the way that they framed this negative emotions, call it negative emotions, call it the Yetzirah. I think they're wrapped together. Okay. First of all, they tell us that even more than the evil inclination wants you to sin, even more than that desire that the evil inclination has for you to do a, something that you're not supposed to, even more than that desire is the overwhelming sense that the evil inclination has that he wants you to feel bad about what you did. Right. Right. Why is that? It means that he's almost only getting you to do something wrong in order that you should have the byproduct of that, which is getting depressed about it, feeling down about the fact that you messed up. Right. So you won't do teshuva. You'll just say, "What's the point?" What's the point? Right. Right. I'm I'm a low life. Yeah. So and low lives don't aren't close to Hashem. Low lives have no ability. I mean, how could I even show up in front of Hashem? Right. Right. And you see this like you see this in real life. You see people make mistakes and it drags them down. And then they come to a davening. They come to prayer. Right. And they say in their mind whether they say it consciously or. or or unconsciously, but they say in their mind, what right do I, who just did whatever, X, Y, and Z, what right do I have to stand in front of Hashem? What right do I have to talk to Hashem? I mean, he doesn't want to hear from me, right? right? Yeah. This low life? Yeah. This low, this mouth, do you know what this mouth just said, <laughs> right? I mean, you're on the way out to shul and, you know, God forbid it should happen, but every once in a while, you know, you, you slip up and, and, and you say something that you're not supposed to at you know, directed towards a, a family member or something like that. And then with that same mouth, you say to yourself, with that same mouth, I'm going to go talk to God, right? And so you get to shul. What does the evil inclination want? Just keep feeling bad. Just keep right. feeling bad. Why? Because he knows the power of the experience of saying to God, I messed up and what I just did was inappropriate or wrong. And I'm turning to you to help me overcome that feeling, emotion, action, I'm turning to you. But the evil inclination knows the power of that experience. So all he wants you to do is get to shul and say, I am not worthy to talk to God. But listen, I got to go to shul, right? I got to go to synagogue, right? I listen, you know, it's a Saturday morning. I can't be absent, right? Right. Okay, so you go, but you know, I don't feel like talking to God today. So I'm just, I'll read a book, right? I'll read a book. 
And he's like, cha-ching, I win. <laughs> I win <laughs> because you didn't have that experience of turning to God and saying, help me with this. Help right. me with this challenge. Yeah. And that's in every situation. What he just wants you to do is have the residual feeling inside of you that you're a low life. Because if he can keep you believing that you're a low life, then he's golden. Great. Then you just keep doing the stuff he wants you to do. Right. And you're on path towards destruction and he won and he gets points and he racks up the you know the score right. on his side you, you drop out of the battle and you drop exactly yeah exactly exactly and you drop out of the lowest point of the battle which is i'm engaged at least in making choices in the battle you drop out now you drop out he won and that's what he wants and so when you talk about emotions and bring it back to understanding how our emotions are playing with us. I think every time we have a negative emotion, let's focus on that side. Okay. Every time the positive side is, is something to be talked about, but it may be more practical is the things that drag us down. And every time we have one of those emotions to be able to look at it and say, this is this emotion is coming at me as a product of the Yetzir Hara, as a product of the evil inclination. He's sending me this sadness. What am I going to do about it? Thank you for listening to part one of Horse and Rider with Rabbi Wolgelinter. Stay tuned for the upcoming release of part two. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.